Welcome back to another Dispatch from Holly McKay. Today, we're going to be talking about Iraq. Now, Holly, you just wrote on this substack a very long piece. Let's go over it. Um, yeah, so I uh, spent um, a little bit of time going back to Baghdad um, in the last few weeks, and I just thought it was really important. Uh, June obviously marks um, five years since ISIS was declared defeated in Iraq, and I, I really wanted to to kind of go back and, and see what the situation was. And um, I think it's very easy often to you forget about a war when it's no longer in the headlines, but, you know, the aftermath is, is something that is really important. And so I, I did a series of articles and, um, you know, one of them just being what is life like now in Baghdad? Yeah, well, um, so the, the gist of this article is that, you know, life is, has returned to what really sounds very internal at this point. Can you describe a little bit about that? You know, the politics, the focus of the people, the, all those kinds of things, because you're this, this, there's so much meat in what you just wrote. Yeah. Well, if we just look at it, let's start with say the security perspective. Um, it's obviously a very different scenario now than, than it was, you know, five, six years ago when ISIS said it was really at its high point, it controlled a third of Iraq and the second largest city, Mosul. Um, so it was obviously very tense um, back then. But now you're sort of looking at a situation where, I mean, you look at the Iraqi military and the security forces and, and really how much experience they've had. You know, there are very few militaries, I would say, in the world that have had that kind of um, very raw urban battlefield experience that the Iraqis have had. And, and they've learned a lot from that um, experience, I think, and, and sort of in really fortifying the, the country and, and trying what they can to to make it safe. But you also have this element of many, many Iranian-backed militias. Um, and they've also been, um, most of them have been brought into the security forces as kind of a um, an umbrella. Um, and then there are some that sort of refuse to be part of the government full stop. But, you know, within that umbrella, you have that complexity of, you know, these are militias that aren't really, they don't really follow the rules. They aren't answering to Baghdad. They're not sort of, you know, listening to what the MOD chiefs tell them. These people are listening to what the Ayatollahs in, in Tehran or the IRGC tells them, you know, so it's, it's a very, um, complicated process. And I think, um, that is sort of, um, there's always, always this sort of sense that anything can happen. And certainly there are still um, ISIS pockets, mostly in Ramadi and Fallujah, um, that just sort of continue to proliferate, um, you know, weapons caches. You know, you know, before ISIS, this was Al-Qaeda territory. So you have sort of this very disenfranchised Sunni population there. And unfortunately, that still breeds a, an element of extremism. And depending on who you talk to, some will say that, you know, it is getting significantly worse than it was perhaps a year ago. Um, so that's yeah. certainly a challenge that that Iraq has to deal with in, in many different ways. And and then with that, you, um, you know, you're, you're looking at a sectarian divide as well. So you've got the Sunnis, which are the minority um, population in Iraq, and then you've got sort of the, the Shia militias. And so, um, you know, it is a shame because Iraq was a place where it didn't matter, you know, very much like Syria. It didn't matter. You know, nobody asked anyone else what sect they were, what religion they were. Um, you know, that wasn't important, but I think the, the onslaught of ISIS and, you know, even for a lot of, of 
the Shia, the, the sort of the anger that they now feel um, given, you know, maybe they were run from their homes or they had relatives killed or, um, you know, all sorts of violations they were subject to. Um, and, you know, so you, you do have this sort of divide now that, that never used to exist. And, um, you know, when you, whenever you can't sort of coexist, it, it creates uh, a big security problem. So that is something that Iraq is grappling with. And you see that in their inability to form a government. And um, they had elections last October, a really complicated sort of constitution and system that was put in place um, by, by Paul Brammer and the CPA that I, you know, even for me, it's, you know, as one of the um, sort of militia leaders described it to me, you know, in America, you have two parties and you still can't manage often to to come to any kind of agreement. Imagine having 300. Um, and the idea of that was to make sure that every group was represented, whether that be Sunni or Yazidi or Christian or Shia, and that there was fair representation. But really what it's created is this kind of mess where everybody blocks everybody else. Um, everybody's looking for power. Um, Iran obviously tries to assert as much authority in that as possible. Um, so it's just really, it goes nowhere, um, even to the point that earlier this week, Sada, who did win the majority, or technically, you know, you could argue corruption as well, but who technically did win the, the majority of the, the votes um, in Parliament, he's basically told them to figure it out for months. They haven't been able to. So he's basically pulled out now and, and you know, pulled out his representatives and basically said, I, I can't do anything about it. Um, and then you have the likes of Maliki and other people who are rising up, um, you know, and Maliki is the, the former prime minister who, who kind of went on such a sectarian tangent that it, it really gave way to ISIS because Sudis felt very um, disenfranchised. So you have those sorts of characters that are still in the mix that are now sort of um, returning to power. So it's a, it's a kind of an unknown and, and very complicated situation. Yeah. But in the middle of all that, um, there are no bombings and there are tourists showing back up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, you know, that a lot of that is sort of internal tourism, but I know that the Iraqis are, you know, in trying to, I guess, encourage, um, you know, Europeans and, and, and Westerners and other people to, to return to Iraq. Um, and, you know, it, it is a beautiful place. It's got, um, you know, incredible archaeology for anybody that's interested in, you know, ancient empires and cradle of civilization and, and Babylon and Alexander the Great and all of that. You know, Iraq is, is really, you know, the beginning of all of it. And you feel that when you go there. It's a really, um, just a, a bizarre feeling or it's hard to put my finger on or to describe, but you do feel this sort of sense of, of somewhere that just is so much collection of, of wisdom and, and you just sort of think about it. You know, really this was for so long in, you know, 200, 300 BC, this was the, the greatest empire in the world. And you sort of look at the trajectory of, of how quickly empires raise and rise and fall over time. And, um, you know, that it, it won't be America forever, you know, as it is now and, and that how quickly things uh, do change. And, and I think when you go to a place like Iraq, you, you really get that sense of history. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a military, military historians like to talk about technological advantage and, empire and stuff like that and they always talk in terms of a hundred years of glory followed by a long and arduous decline and yeah and there's iraq you know which has been 
it's been a long time since it was Mesopotamia. And, yeah. uh, but it's still there is the thing. And, um, you know, so a, a very interesting, uh, coverage of it. What's, I'll ask you one last question before we go on this one. You're just there. You have a touch for the people. What do you think in terms, are you positive, negative, neutral in terms of Iraq's future over the next five to 10 years? Um, you know, for me, I think it's always really important to talk to the people as much as you can. I mean, you can, you can kind of sit all day with these officials and, and come away with notebooks of nothing is usually what I say. And, um, you know, officials will sort of tell you what you want to hear and, and complain about something. Um, but you never really get to the crux of it the way that you do when you're with the people. So I, I was, you know, did as much as I could in going to the markets and going to the mosque and going to, um, the, the churches and, and just really trying to get as, as broad a picture as possible. And, um, I think, you know, people live their lives. They get through their lives. Iraq is incredibly resilient. Um, you know, people go out, you go out for hookah, you go out for dinner. Um, it's a very sort of bustling place. It's, it's not, um, sort of an overtly kind of religious place, say, compared to Afghanistan. You know, most women are often not wearing a hijab or they're out late at night, um, you know, smoking, doing what they want. So it's sort of a sharp contrast into, um, I think a lot of the perceptions that people have of Baghdad that aren't, I mean, you go further south, it's a lot more religious, but Baghdad itself, um, is a pretty free place. You know, I, I was kind of shocked even at what some of the women uh, were wearing. And I thought, gosh, I wouldn't even wear that, you know, myself in, um, walking down, you know, the street of New York. But I think, um, there is that resilience, but there is also kind of a, a, a sad lack of hope and majority of the population in Iraq are, are youth, you know, they're under the age of um, 30 and there's just so few jobs, um, so few opportunities, you know, Iraq's a tough passport to have. You can't really go anywhere. Um, you know, there's not really, you've got so much corruption that's really driving up housing prices um, in Baghdad and other things. And, and um, there's just sort of this sense of, unless you are willing to engage in corruption or unless you are, um, you know, come from a, a wealthy family, there just isn't a huge amount of hope for you. Um, and so I think Iraqis, young Iraqis, they really do feel that. But yet at the same time, um, there is, it's a, it's a place that, you know, unlike in the U S it's a place that really puts value on family time, um, you know, on sort of enjoying the simple things in life. Um, and so I, I also learned big lessons from that too. Um, it's not, you know, it's not sort of the, the rat race or the climbing mentality that, that we often have in places like DC or LA or New York. Um, it's a place that really does value, um, you know, the people that you spend time with. And so you may not have a lot, you may not have a lot of money, but um, people, you know, will, will in whatever way they can make the most of their lives. And so that is always, um, you know, a really beautiful takeaway for me. Ah, very good. Well, so to everyone that has stayed to listen until the end of this thing, um, that is the on the ground that you can only get if you go there. And uh, thank you very much, Holly McKay, for that insight into what's happening in this country today. 
Thank you, Dennis.